Hey boomers, welcome once again to Sonic the Comic the Podcast, your fortnightly look back at the world of the 1990s and the UK's official Sega comic, Sonic the Comic. We are the humans who think we're in charge. My name as always is Chris McFeely. My name as usual is Dave Bulmer and we are here with issue number 60. Gosh, I'm... gosh. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of took me by surprise, right? I was trying to remember, what issue we reading this week? 50... 60? Already? <laughs> yeah. And like, th- just although now I think about it, like the actual issue 50 episode that we did does seem like quite a long time ago. And yeah, the yeah. amount they've crammed in since then. Wasn't it? Were, were we still at Sonic and Knuckles? And the, wasn't that the Metallics return episode? It was. I mean, wow. this issue is still paying off and footnoting yeah. back to events that occurred in that issue. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This issue, cover dated September 15th, released September 2nd, 1995. So we are back to school. Well, yeah, back to school. Just back. And I'm lamenting in the diary about some, you know, changes of teachers we've got. We've got a horrible French teacher. <gasps> According to this, she gives you detention for blinking. <laughs> Watch out for her. On the cover of this issue, it's another Carl Flint cover. We're on the throne with the evil emperor Metallics. On the throne. Um, <laughs> Brilliant little undermining of the threat there. That is so UK comic. It is making a toilet <laughs> joke. Yeah. That's making a toilet joke. I don't feel yeah. like I really got that back in the day. Mm-hmm. But isn't it nice mm. to have some bloody cover art for a change that is actually about the Sonic strip inside? Yes. And one of the better Carl Flint covers I think we've had. I mean, I'm trying to think when the last time we had it, and we had the one that was about the stinky breath lizard man. Yeah. That, and then, like, not not once during the entire Death Egg Sonic and Knuckles adaptation (laughs) did any of the events in that story ever get the cover. And this, finally, it's like, it's not just some dumb joke abstract, (laughs) poo smell, stink breath thing. It's like, look! Look what's in this. It's it's him. It's, it's the Emperor, Emperor Metallic. There he is. Glaring out at you from his big throne thing, hence the pun, with uh, Grimer standing behind him, looking a bit prouder of his creation than I think he would be for this episode. But, yes. Uh, not in, not as how this is going, no. Now, Grimer is hidden behind our free gift. Yeah, sadly his eye is missing from my cover because there would have been a bit of sellotape that just ripped over one of his eyes. Ooh, mine is surprisingly actually unblemished. Mm-hmm. Huh. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know if I... I don't remember if I've mentioned it, but I am back on the physicals oh, now. yes! Since last issue. I can't remember if I mentioned it, but yeah, big old stack... Yes, sent through by Dave's friend Dean. If I didn't mention that last time, yeah, back on the physicals now. Ooh, and it's a good time. <laughs> so these are, it just says on the cover, a game cards starter pack. Mm. And sadly, we don't have them, but we'll get into them once we get into the control zone. What else is on the cover? Sonic's World, Knuckles and Tails. Those are both continuing. A chaotic pinup of Espio the Chameleon. And a new story, Return of Echo the Dolphin. Yeah. So this is the most sponsored Control Zone we've had in rather a long time. A lot of this is about these cards. The first thing Megadroid asks us is, have you opened your game card starter pack? Thought you'd like something to take your minds off a hard day's slog at school? Mm. Mm. Stop groaning and check out the section below for more information on the latest game craze from the US. We will check it out in just a moment. We get the the usual rundown of the strips. I gotta tell you, I'm excited about this last paragraph, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah. Just tremendous (laughs) retroactive excitement. (laughs) Would you like one of the mega talented STC artists to draw something just for you? If the answer is yes, then put a note in your diary for the UK Comic Art Convention. 
UKCA, UKAC? UKAC, yeah. UKAC. Held at the Institute of Education, Bedford Way, London, on Sunday, 1st of October, from 3.30pm, you'll get the chance to meet some of the STC creators, and if you take an adult with you... Who is... You'll get in free. For more information, see next issue. There's going to be some kind of feature next issue, hopefully. I'm so annoyed that I didn't take this seriously at the time and attempt to go... I mean, I couldn't. It's in London. But, like... I don't know. Could I? I don't know. Did I? If I, I wouldn't have even waved this in front of a parent's nose. Who knows whether I would have been able to go to this? Well, we'll learn more next time. But yeah, the retroactive excitement is real. <laughs> but then, below that, rather than to the side, for we have the new controls only. Mm. Uh, below that, starter for five. Mm. Your game card starter pack of five comes complete with detailed instructions and offers a taste of the exciting gameplay to the twits. And then finally, they name the friggin' things for the <laughs> Just first about, time yeah. this issue. The Champions Trading Cards. Yeah. Not, as we thought, perhaps last issue, something to do with Eternal Champions misspelled or, or miswritten. No, Champions Trading Cards. The latest role-playing craze to hit the US, according yeah. to this year. But I'll tell you... That seems suspect to me. <laughs> yeah. Have any of you listening to this, any artists out there, have you ever heard of Champions Trading Cards? It says, now, you'll need a little bit more because I googled it and you just get sports. But it does say here, there are two game titles. So Champions Trading Cards is like, maybe that's the company or something. But there's mm. two game titles, Medieval Battle and Monster Wars, themselves incredibly generic. But I have been able to find some from some details. Yes, as, as of yeah. our, yes. And it says each is available as a basic deck of forty-four cards for three pound ninety-nine, very reasonable price, as well as a booster pack containing eleven cards for ninety-nine p. Man, a booster pack for ninety-nine p. Yeah. Do you remember them? Remember those days? They're implying that you've got this basic deck, and then there's the booster pack you can buy. Presumably, what they mean is you can buy booster packs of eleven cards. Yeah. So the writers of this copy had little more idea than I did. Oh, yes, I see the way they've written a booster pack as if there's only one thing in existence and there's a singular yeah, booster like pack. Yeah, no, like, no, no, like no. an add-on that you can get. No, they mean the usual blind yeah. pack card packs. So, what about these cards then? Well, I tell you, there's a picture of one right here, mm-hmm. boiling oil, yeah. and when I saw it, I had a little memory flash. Not me, even when I've seen more looking him up. It's all... I must have put this straight in a box of stuff somewhere and never see them again. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a, a fascinating little thing. Uh, I, I Yeah, I googled them mm. and found out a little more about them. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a collectible card game, as we called them then, or a TCG, as we would call mm. them now, or a trading card game. And as we all know, all trading card games are rubbish. They are just maths disguised behind pictures. <laughs> Thank you. I agree completely, but it's nice to hear affirmation from someone who worked at a comic shop. <laughs> I would have, if I'd have seen this and understood what it was, maybe I would have been able to do something back then before it really took over, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Altered the course of history. I have nothing against people who enjoy things like Magic the Gathering, right? Mm. 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 But, mm. but. What I do kind of resent is living in a world where when someone says the word Pokemon, they are sometimes referring to a card game. Get lost. Mm. Yeah, that's a video game. It's that's a video game. The card game kind of replicates the experience in card game form. It's like if someone said Age of Mythology and it turns out they meant the board game. No. 
Anyway. Lost on that one, I'm afraid. <laughs> but no, the way these cards functioned, and this, this was the unique feature of them, and, and I, again, when I read this it, and looked at some more pictures online, I started to remember mm -hmm. it, that, and I'm reading from BoardGameGeek.com here, mm -hmm. each player has a hand of five cards and a deck of only 15, so it's quite a, a short-form game, it seems. Mm -hmm. But the player attacks with one, two, or three character cards and some number of special cards. That, that's it. There are only two types of cards, characters or specials. There are these two assortments. Monster Wars and Medieval Battles, and they only have two types of cards in them, characters and specials. And the other tries to defend against each attacking character in the way that one would, by laying down cards with higher values. The trick with these was they had little lottery scratch-off sections on the cards. Mm. So whenever a card was defeated, the defeated card had to scratch off the area and, and reveal a new number. And the new number that was revealed was like their new value and it was always lower. So they, it's like they got weaker as the fights went on. Yeah. I think, is this correct or wrong? But you would find yourself in a situation where you're like sitting down to a game. You're like, oh, this is my Minotaur. It's quite old now and it's quite weak now. Whereas previously it had been less weak. I mean, that seems like such rubbish to me because i mean to my mind it's like notionally that makes them and i'll use the word from this article again here destructible yes but you just start when you start the game again to me it would be like all the numbers just return to right. the original value just because there's a scratch off bit just because <laughs> it's scratched off yeah does not mean i have become incapable of just using the other numbers and and yeah. subtracting as a, but that is just maths yeah it becomes even more like maths when you subtract the scratch-off component. <laughs> well, I suppose... Now, looking at some pictures of them, they have the skulls along the bottom, which I imagine are the scratch-off bits. But I'm also seeing what looks like a sort of... It does look a bit as if the numbers down the sides may themselves be on scratch-off panels. They are. No, they are. I started to remember it as I saw them. They oh. were, I think the skulls that run across the bottom are maybe your lives mm. or something like that. So the cards do not necessarily... It's not like many trading card games where the card is defeated and thus goes into the graveyard or whatever mm. immediately. It seems like maybe it can stay on the field like a couple of times, uh, maybe something like that. I don't know. So does that mean that the numbers themselves are being removed? So you can't just play according... You can't just decide to play with the original numbers if they're gone. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, the attack value like decreases uh, uh, the longer they stay on the field and are defeated. It's interesting, like isn't it? Maybe, yeah. Interesting idea. It's, it's curious, yeah. yeah. And the numbers, I suppose, don't necessarily always drop. Here's a card on Board Game Geek called a Quarry Beast, where the numbers start at zero and oh. uh, and rise as you scratch them off. Oh. So, you know, there, there are... There are fluctuations to the play pattern obviously oh this sounds cool actually careful careful, careful. <laughs> well no I, you know i remember when i was a kid i never had any of these and when i did i didn't collect them but i did like a card game that had interesting cards if i would just you know make up my own rules or whatever i would never bother reading the, the rules and um but these remind me of of these ones that we got at a, a school function where somebody from panini or merlin or one of them showed up with a stall we got obsessed with buying these cards. I wish we could remember what they're called now. Dub it in, Dave. Battle Cards by Merlin, with a unique scratch and slay system devised by Steve Jackson. Where they were this same idea. They had scratch-off panels, but all around them. And it was like you would scratch off, you know, hit points to the shoulder, the knee, different bits. Oh, okay. And they had, like, better paintings than this. It was like this, but a few levels up. So to see this several years later being a kind of a simplification of, the, of a similar idea feels like a step down to me, and that was probably why I wasn't 
interested particularly. Because um, I hadn't learned... It was only when I found out about what collectible card games are and the fact that people take them seriously and go to tournaments that I started disliking them. Before that, I was like, oh, cool. Just a, like <laughs> Snap, would... only kind of more complicated. Cool. <laughs> like Top Trumps, but different. These cards were made by a company called Irwin. Hmm. So, not one I've ever heard of, so... No great surprise, I suppose. No, they 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 don't look like something that's taking anywhere by storm. You know what I mean? Use skill, strategy, and your monster's powers to defeat the enemy that sits before you. Unique scratch-off feature allows you to weaken your opponent's powers instantly. What I will say is that they seem appropriate for it to go on the front of a British comic. Yeah, that's why it's so weird to me that they're described as taking the US, the US by storm. By storm. There storm. is something so intrinsically British feeling. Yeah. What it is, is it's the way these cards are described. Usually things like magic and these things have a seriousness to them, and these don't. These are daft. So I'm looking here at Ultra Horror, which is kind of a, an, an angry face in some mist, and it says, the description on the card is, A thick, dense fog with poisonous fumes. It seeps in everywhere, and victims gasp for air. Doesn't like work. <laughs> How control zone is that? There's an angry-looking guy on a horse called Clansman McKee, and it, the description of him is, Don Key, to his friends. Don Key. A ferocious fighter, but his horse is lazy, and he never joins the battle on time. It's just stuff like that. Well, I mean, a lot of trading card games do have, like, cute flavour text mm -hmm. on them like that. But there's something about that just very mm. specifically com combined with this kind of kind of Glen Fabry-esque um, uh, painted artwork. Yeah. That, I don't know, I don't know what it is. It, 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 it feels very 2000 AD adjacent yeah, for some reason. It does. Huge rock-eating monster, Quarry Beast, uses victims as slaves to quarry rocks for him to eat. Hates people with suntans. <laughs> What's the what's the logic? I know. <laughs> it's just a bit daft, and uh, so yeah, so it it actually does suit STC quite well. But if you had mm. any of these, not specifically from the comic here, but if you just remember these in any way, yeah, do let us know. Leave a no comment on the Twitter or whatever. <laughs> The Brotherhood of Metallics, Part 2. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, colours by John Burns, and letters by Ellie DeVille. Using a star post provided by Robotnik, Sonic warps into the Special Zone to rescue Grimer from the Brotherhood of Metallics. Sonic arrives just as Grimer hands over a mysterious machine he has been forced to construct for the Brotherhood called the Alpha Device. Sonic snatches the device, but when the Emperor Metallics threatens to kill Grimer, Sonic is forced to return it, and the Brotherhood walk out for the Miracle Planet. <laughs> There's a lot going on here, here that's just that just gets your motor running. Yeah, that's yes, done it. A little surprising to see uh, Elsa not coloring his own art. I know it, it's such a unusually different look, isn't it? It really stands out. Like it's not in any way bad. No, it's hard to even look at it and say exactly what's even being done differently <laughs> but it is different it is different yeah visibly different mm. it stands out immediately i don't know yeah the, the way that the colors blend into one another is different the amount of light involved like there's more white patches i don't quite I mean, know Elson always does put little he does uh, shines on things he but does. there's something Sh sonic does look very very shiny. very shiny. shinier than usual yeah 
but there's some great touches as well like i love this this panel just to make just to, as a way to make the backgrounds interesting like this panel page one panel three where there's just this fiery halo of color around sonic's head in yeah. the background just to, to make it look interesting yes it's oh in, i think it, it, i think it's watercolor isn't it the way it's sort of yeah it looks watercolor yeah, yeah the way it's kind of running into and also you know the shine along the top of sonic's spike on panel two yeah, I think that's mm. all watercolor. Maybe that's it. Maybe Rich uses gouache and this guy uses watercolor. There's a difference anyway. Yeah. Uh, Burns has colored several other artists. He hasn't drawn any strips of his own, but he's colored a few different artists' work over the course of the series already. Mm. Where do we begin with this one now? So, I don't know because I haven't got very many notes. It's no, it's just cool. That's yeah, it's just, it's just cool. Like, well, Robot Robotnik explains that the Metallicses have kidnapped Grimer. Sonic remembers the Brotherhood being mentioned the last time he. The dots are being connected. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I definitely have to call us out. Oh, go on. Uh, Robotnik uh, explains that the Brotherhood have sealed all entrances into the special zone, so the only way to get in is via a star post that he has. Okay. Um, and that's why Robotnik needs Sonic and wants to join team up with him, because Sonic's the only one who can activate a star post with his speed. And not so very long ago, in the Jailbreak story, okay. we had uh, a star post being used to warp between zones. Yes. And we both thought, well, that's strange that's new and different star posts don't usually behave that way they've been used that way in multiple different stories (laughs) in the course of the series already not warped to the special zone Mm. warped between zones Mm -hmm. the way we were saying was new and different in that Mm -hmm. story yes on the day that episode went up and i was listening back to Mm -hmm. it I remembered that... you remember when Sonic left the note for his friends in the Sonic Terminator and explained yeah. that there were no star posts at the Never Lake, so he had to run up there. Oh, yeah. And there was an asterisk in the note, so that's why I remembered. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was that was the first instance of it. And then all the other instances have been in the uniformly worst stories <laughs> that Ketching has written, so that's why we don't remember them. Dr. Sun from the Summer Special yes. and the Sentinel. Sonic just uses star posts to warp between zones in those. And... And we just didn't remember it. <laughs> That's just interesting then, that this the, the stories that we responded to the least well happened just happened to be the ones where this was mentioned. And what an odd yeah. coincidence. What a funny coincidence. Because yeah, it has nothing to do with it. That's not why or no. anything. Just getting an on-air correction in there now mm. for when we said a few episodes ago mm. that this was weird and stupid and new. Not at all. <laughs> Are you sure we didn't? Because that's so familiar to me, mentioning Dr. Sun and, and all that stuff. I feel as if we did say that, or if you did say that. I genuinely don't remember saying it, because people called us out for it on um, Twitter. <laughs> oh, right. oh, I hope I didn't cut it out. That doesn't sound like the sort of thing I would. Oh, well. So he warps into the special zone, right, and he goes over to the Egg Fortress and everything, and there's something, there's just something exciting about yeah. this, about him Finding the hole that Mighty the Armadillo yeah. punched in the side of the fortress yeah. in the previous Knuckles story and finding the wreckage of the battle. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not as if this story isn't a continuation yeah. of the previous Knuckles story that introduced the Brotherhood and that the Brotherhood story wasn't a direct continuation of the seeds laid down in the Sonic and Knuckles story. But they were sort they were one after the other. Mm. And there's some there's just 
there's just something about the way it's like Sonic is sauntering through yeah. another story. Exactly, here yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Even though they were written and drawn by exactly yeah. the same artist in the comic, separated by only a few pages. This must be how people feel who really like that thing where, you know, when in like a Marvel ongoing series or something, it's like you were supposed to have read this other series in order to understand everything happening in this series, stuff like this. These things are old hat now, but back then. Except here, in this comic the difference is that it is a story you might have not read if you're the sort of person who just you know starts reading a comic and then chucks it aside or whatever weirdos yeah but it is within the pages of this comic so you can then go back and check and go like oh this is how it happened cool because it's in your collection assuming you like us collect the comic it's it's really nice it's a really nice little bit of thread that runs from one thing to another yeah but it's but it's cooler because it was in the knuckle strip and not the sonic strip. That's, yeah. It's just all there is to it. It's just interstrip continuity. Ever since the knuckle strip started with its little continuation of what was going on in the sonic strip by, you know, going like, oh, here's the carnival night zone bit. And then the knuckle strip has always felt like a sort of like true fans strip in some way. It's like a little secret strip that's also in the comic, gives you more of the main thing. And that, by being later on in the issue but definitely setting up something that's clearly going to bleed through to main continuity and you know we know is main continuity but it just it's it makes it more special that they put it there rather than in the sonic strip it means that the sonic strip isn't an island unto itself stuff that's going on elsewhere in the comic can affect it and that makes it feel bigger and more important the book is i still call it a book because i think of comic books and i always say book the comic you know is Pushing against its own boundaries. Yeah. So those things are definitely Emperor Metallics's hands, right? Aren't they? Remember we were talking about that last time. Those those oh, yes. lumpy bumpies on the on what looked like the armrests of his chair. But we see his hands here now, and they they are. They, he doesn't have the pointy dagger fingers of a Metallics. No. He does have rounded fingies. No. Yeah. He uses his his hands a lot in this issue, and. So look, I'm very glad that this issue confirms something that I said I suspected before but couldn't Mm. quite 100% tell, which is that Emperor Metallics is massive. Well, I I feel like that was always apparent, but yes, he's a big old boy. We usually saw him, you know, at the end of the room, and so it was a bit ambiguous. Here you see him right up against people, particularly Grimer, particularly when he picks Grimer up in a single fist, and it's nothing to him. It's just like holding a little doll. This guy is enormous. Oh, imagine his big head, his big shiny red head. It's a, like so. The middle portion of this is just a, a two-page fight scene where Sonic stumbles upon the Metallics just as they're leaving, warping out through their evil pink Omniviewer. <laughs> their evil Omniviewer, yeah. <laughs> to the Miracle Planet. We learned uh, last issue that they had their eyes on the Miracle Planet, and since Grammar has been abducted, he is quite quickly because I guess they must have made some progress on their own for how quickly he's made this this alpha device this mm. long golden clarinet yes yeah that's exactly what it is yeah that they're going to it's going to do something on the miracle planet but before they warp out sonic snatches the device out of emperor metallics's hand and abby would like me to point out that when he gets the alpha device he says tell much lee and that always made a laugh and then there is a a two-page fight scene where sonic takes on the two remaining metallics's Punching and lasers and blasting and shooting and and it's all silent yeah. too. Except well, there's certain effects, but no no dialogue. Yes, yeah. There's this whole page where he it's just a fight with Metallics. One of them does a big sort of swipe that Sonic has to kind of 
jump over and Sonic kind of goes down to reach for the alpha device but another one is flying over his head and he gets the alpha device and he whacks its head off with it and then starts brandishing it like a sword or something and I oh. love this I, I just adore this bit at the end like where he turns around to see that Emperor Metallics has as you said picked up Grimer in his fist whole body and clenched in the fist you will give me the alpha device Sonic if you fail to obey at once, I will destroy this creature. <laughs> Grimer's my enemy, pal. He spends his time cooking up crazy badniks to try and kill me. Why would you think I'd do anything to help him? Because you are a weak creature of flesh. You do not have the merciless nature of a metallics. Yeah, I gotta admit, you got me there. And he hands over the staff. That's top tier shit. Yeah. There's something grown up about this episode. because That's Sonic doing his, doing his usual is mm. bluster it's so mm. he's, he's bluffing the metallics that's literally yeah. he is just putting yeah. up the front pretending that he would let grimer die we know he wouldn't yeah, of course. but so does the metallics the meta yeah. because you are a weak creature of flesh because we've had enemies that are stronger or more robot before now we've got one that's able to just sit there and talk Sonic into defeat. A cleverer villain. That's really, really cool. That plus the two-page silent fight scene. That plus the page sort of establishing the metallics is... There's a slower pace to this one. The one where he's going through the wreckage of the previous story. The fact that the first two pages are just Robotnik telling him what's up. and This is a sort of between story. But not one that is not itself a highlight. It's just really... It's a great use of seven pages aimed at an audience of readers that the comic trusts. That the comic knows is two years older now than they were when they started reading the comic. You know, at a point in time when two years meant a lot in their lives. I'm not, not like I don't mean like in a point of human history. I mean <laughs> in a point of like development. <laughs> when when kids were you know getting older and seeking out more in their in their entertainment. But it is because in that point of history. That was when Sonic the Comic happened. So, of True. course, it was a yes. very significant couple of years. Yes. <laughs> Honest, Gov. But, yeah, it. I love this. It feels It feels special. It feels really good, even though it's not one of the the issues that I would ever think of when no, thinking no, of never. tentpole issues. Nothing particularly happens in it, really. It's just total quality from start to finish. No, because we still are none the wiser as to what it is the Brotherhood are actually going to do. It's just yeah. Sonic essentially gets up to speed on what's going on. Haha, <laughs> gets up to speed. Wah, wah. Yes, that's what it is. It's catching us up with the chaotic strip if we didn't read it, but in a way that feels exciting and thing. a little it's bit scary. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is a little bit scary for, for this comic. You're right there, yeah. I mean, the... Now that the Emperor Metallics is sort of twiddling around on a little floating platform rather than clamped into, you know, we've, we've said before, installed in the, the yes, room. Yes, of course, of course. This is the first time that his throne yeah. has uh, taken off, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Because if you look at certain panels, when you can see, you can see the, the dome of his head in behind the sweeping spikes, you can see all the empty sockets where the yeah. wires and things used to plug in yeah. when he was hooked up to the fortress. <laughs> I love the Emperor Metallics. It's such a good design. It's just Metallics in red and gold with a throne <laughs> instead of legs, but it's cool and scary. It's, yeah. oh, I, oh, I love it. It does seem at this point, it becomes like more apparent that the decision to not give him uh, pupils is, is definitely deliberate. Yes. We were talking about it before, but the individual Metallics, they have pupils. 
Well, depending on the angle of the head, obviously, but they have them. But we see the Emperor Metallics from a couple of different shots this time, and at no point does he have pupils. No. He just has those red orbs. Yeah, they almost look like... The the best one to see them is, well, uh, slightly misleading because there's what I think is a little glimmer of light that actually looks a bit like a pupil, but I don't yes, think Yes, yes, I know what you mean. The over-the-back-of-the-head shot where he's holding Grimer, that shows you the 3D of them. They're like sort of discs sitting on top of it or something, aren't they? They're... There's a certain shape to them. I think of them as just lights in the darkness, to be honest. Oh, you don't think that this... Because I interpret this as, like, you can see the side of the thing. No, I can see what you're saying with this specific panel, yeah, but it's not how I think of them uh, normally. And the fact as well that he's got the gold bits where the normal metallics have silver bits. I mean, that is just the most bog-standard straightforward this thing is a different color from the regular thing yeah, it was silver, silver. This so this gold. one's gold so it's better yeah. but but doesn't it play well with the with the blood red and, and he's red because yeah. red is a more evil color than blue yeah it's 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 not big and it's not clever but god <laughs> damn does it work <laughs> Now, uh, before the record for this episode, I confused Chris by rooting around in my stuff to try and find a thing, which I wouldn't tell him what it was. I'm going to get it now. Yes. Look at this. Look at this. Oh, yeah. Oh, Dave's holding up in front of me now. <laughs> it's the page. The second of the, of the two fight scene pages, the original artwork. The original page. The one where Sonic knocks a Metallics' head off. Now, this was... Abby had to remind me of this when she bought it. I'd forgotten this. And she was like, no, Dave, come on. Sonic knocks a Metallics' head off <laughs> with his bare hands. Well, with a stick. I didn't remember that. So now I've, I've always kind of wondered, like, what issue was that from? And I've been looking forward to us getting to it. But, um, yeah, we actually got this one relatively recently. Am I completely making this up? Or did she get you a page at the same time she got this? No, I have a page, yeah. I'm gonna, it's not from this issue, but I'm just going right. to get it because it's a very, very soon issue. <laughs> oh, son of a... Oh, mother... Oh, sh... Oh, Christ. <laughs> I haven't looked at it in a while, and, uh, and, and, and I thought it was from when they were fighting on the Miracle Planet. Twinsies! Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> Chris is holding up the, the other, uh, the other of the, of the two, two silent fight, fight scenes. Yeah! Twinsies! Oh my this god. This is the two halves of the thing ring. This is the force that links us across space and yes. time. Yes! We're putting, it's like we're putting two side. We're like that couple who put the two torn half spearmint chewing gums together in the advert, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that is the frame of reference you go for. Not some kind of broken heart locket or anything like that. The two torn halves of the spearmint chewing gum from the advert from around this time. Oh, Cool, refreshing, Wrigley Spearmint Gum. Yeah, oh wow, that's what it is. Oh, oh I brilliant. Knew it. I, I, I knew it was a page with with the Metallics and, the, and yeah. the Alpha device and everything, but I, I haven't looked at it in a while. Oh, and I God. had thought it was from a later chapter of this serial. I didn't remember we both had the two halves of the one scene that's brilliant. I think yours is a bit cooler because it's got that that picture of the uh, Emperor Metallics going like with two blue metallics. Big, big out. giant balloon hands. That's a really good one. Oh, I'm so glad we've got that. Uh, that Abby has done that for us. <laughs> Did she do it deliberately, even? Because this was before we pod, the podcast was but a twinkle. This was my next question. When was it? But it can't have been that long ago because we already knew each other. It's, well, yeah, but it was a couple years still. Right. Oh, really? 
really? Oh, well, there you go. A good couple of years, because as I said, it was before the podcast. Was... So it must have been that Rich was going, oh, I've got a few pages left over. Does anybody want them? And Abby was like, "I, me and also I know someone else who probably does. And that's kind of just a coincidence that we're able to reunite those two pages over Skype. Live on air. <laughs> oh, well, if this hadn't worked and like two episodes in, we'd like fallen out with each other and not been friends and this whole thing. <laughs> that, then there was a high risk involved because then the two pages would have been like split up in a way they shouldn't be. No, but you know, like, it was like, decades from now, we would find them in an old chest <laughs> and gently run our hands over them and remember. And then we'd get back in touch and we would all be grand. We'd wonder how many years we'd wasted. <laughs> all right, that was a bit of a distraction from the comic itself, although maybe it was not, it was a, no, I mean, that was the actual pages, wasn't it? That's that was that's, the, the that's going itself. one level deeper, isn't yeah. it? Not one level. <laughs> it's one level further removed, but in like in a deeper down. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the issue ends with Metallics, Emperor Metallics with the Alpha device in hand, warping off to the Miracle Planet. And when they return, let all of Mobius beware. Why do the villains have to make such a big exit speech? Grimer says they're already on the Miracle Planet and they have the Alpha device. The Brotherhood of Metallics <laughs> have already won. <laughs> Next, return to the Miracle Planet. Yes, please. I consent to returning to that. I do. I feel like there is a little, a little tiny bit, and it's nobody's fault, but there's a mm. little tiny bit of wind taken out of those sails of that dramatic concept of going back to somewhere where they where they haven't been in like 30 issues by the fact cam and bert have sauntered up there in the final strip this issue cam and flipping bert just got in a wee ship up they went <laughs> didn't even have to climb the chain yeah oh well who was reading that anyway refuse is a review of just the one game it is written by nick Protz, and it is comic zone for the mega drive pre-release version review uh, yeah another pre-release version yeah, yeah there's a two-page review zone that's right for the one game yeah a rare thing i can't remember if it's that people like this game or don't like this game i just know it has a reputation i can't remember what it is i think it's generally well regarded it's on the mega drive mini oh uh, is it have yeah. you had a go i have had a go i had a go on back in the day um, yeah. oh, but really? it's, it's a tough one. I didn't own it back in the day, but I did play it back in the day. It's a tough one, I always thought. I'm not very good at it, I don't think. It's like, it's it's the definition of one of those play it and see how far you can get, and then whenever you uh, die, that's it. No passwords, no saves, no nothing. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think it's actually very long. It's right. just, you know. Well, I've been kind of avoiding it on my Mega Drive Mini because I got the impression it, it wasn't supposed to be good, but I hope it is because... I love the idea of it, and this makes it look really good. So this is a game in which the protagonist is a comics artist, yes. and he ends up in his comic, and it's a fighting game now. And yeah. I, I didn't realise it was a fighting game. I thought it was more of a sort of... Is it like a brawler? Is it like a Street to Rage? Yeah, a Street to Rage type. Yeah, okay. Not not a Street Fighter type. Okay, that, no. that's what I thought. And um, as you move through it, it's all fashioned after a comic so people speech balloons are coming out of people and i think are there even panels that you move oh between? yeah 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 it's basically you have to clear the panel before you can move on to the next panel 
and that involves you know swinging around or punching through or breaking down through panel borders or whatever oh, and um cool. I, I haven't you know mapped it out in my head while playing it but I'm, I'm so i'm not sure if like literally every level is laid out exactly like a comic page but you don't just you know punch through you do have to punch down to get down to the next row of panels or whatever and there are certain puzzles i think prots alludes to some of them here where yeah you can find like the secret doors that that allow you to jump to the, the next panel over or under rather than having to fight all the way around it stuff like that and this brings me to my question for you chris mm. Why the f did STC not adapt this game? Why? You know, I've you know I've never thought about it, but yeah, because that could be the sort of thing in a different way, but sort of not the way what you were described wanting out of Pirate STC. Yes, a comic that is aware of its own existence as a comic, you yes. know, a comic strip that plays with the medium that it's in. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it imagine because. The tone that I'm imagining based on the, the look of the thing is actually quite closer to Kid Chameleon. Except mm -hmm. in it, the protagonist is like, rather than, oh, I'm trapped in this game, here's a... It's, I'm trapped in this comic. And he'd be grappling with swinging round the panel borders to kick someone in the next panel, things like this. There's all sorts of cool stuff they could have done. It's a tricky thing to do. Whenever you're dealing oh, with yeah. only like five pages, I'm yeah. not sure how, what you can accomplish exactly. Yeah. Whenever space is at a premium... And it's just five pages of essentially meta actions, yeah. And every action that the guy takes is going to require more than one panel to to show you Function, because it's yes, about because he's moving have between. To move, them, yeah. If you say say for instance that he grabs the panel border yeah. and spin kicks round it into the next panel or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, I've just recently finished reading the complete run of the Unbelievable Gwenpool from Marvel, which ah. plays around with a lot of this stuff. Oh. But it is, it like it. It can be quite, yeah, and you know, I've read other comics that do it too. Grant Morrison works. Things like Animal Man are very famous for doing. You know. It can be very heady stuff, mm. and it might have been a little too much potentially for STC yeah, to be honest. Maybe, yeah. Uh... I think you need a little more space than STC would have been able to give it to do the concept mm -hmm. to its fullest, but. It is an interesting what-if, isn't it? I'd have liked to see how they coped with it, because we've seen that there are people who did the Sega Superstars strips who were just very good and did all sorts of interesting things, so maybe. Maybe the Shinobi artist could have pulled something off that another one might not have been able to, because he played yeah, with yeah. the form a lot, he didn't did. he? He did, he did, yeah. And it certainly, just you know, thinking about the style of it, I could definitely see his style adapting mm. to it pretty well. Yeah, the main problem, though, and, and I agree with you on this, is that like there'd be less content because of how much of the page you'd have to take up with everything that you do and i suspect honestly each page would have to be a panel basically even if it was multiple panels on the page because it would be a single line mm. of motion going through them or something so yeah hey i'd love to see stco you guys try it i'd love that to see would be it. something yeah yeah essentially it's like every panel can be only one thought almost mm. As he, you know, assesses the shift, yeah. if he is aware of the panels and where they are around him and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Well, very well reviewed by Prots, anyway, with an overall of 91. Uh, the raves are, love that rat, where they're talking about the the little rat. Uh, oh, he's sketch. got a rat with him, hasn't he? Does he does have a says. rat, yes. Uh, Roadkill the rat. It says here, when morphed into a killer attack rodent. <laughs> has some handy moves of his own too as much as I've played of the game the only thing you use the rat to do is like to send him through uh, small holes in the border into the next room to pull a lever to open the way for you oh, or whatever this you know. sounds great I'm going <laughs> to play this get that on you this evening yeah I might do I might do yeah I think there was a time when I would have thought that it was a bit convoluted to have this 
this guy, this guy with his little sunglasses and his little ponytail and all of this, and his muscles and his <clears throat> being a comics artist, to describe him as a rock musician and writer-artist. Meet Sketch Turner, freelance rock musician and writer-artist on the comic book Comic Zone. It's a bit like being a chess champion and surfer. The rock musician is a weird sort of addition, isn't it? But Isn't it? Did they not think it was just cool enough to be a comic artist? I mean, they probably there? did not. But here's the thing. Now that I'm older and I've found out how many comics artists are in fact rock musicians and that's how that's... True. That is actually about as dweeby as the comics part. I think it's perfectly reasonable now. Well, I don't know, but the funny thing is, right, this is 1995, so this is but a few years after the launch of Image Comics, whenever they were the hot, young, cool rock star dudes who went off and launched that. So, yeah, the idea of being like an independent comic book creator (laughs) uh, within a certain sphere of knowledge was kind of a rock star cool thing to be back then. So the idea that they had to drop rock star freelance rock musician on top of it feels Mm. like overkill to me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, so he's the coolest dude in the whole world and he's made this comic that he's fighting his way through. Yeah. I want to have a go on this. It just seems like a lot of fun. Well, I expect you to fill us in next episode with your thoughts (laughs) in next episode's (laughs) review zone, if there is one, because these things are becoming more inconsistent. Return of Echo the Dolphin Part 1 Written by Alan McKenzie With art by Steve White And letters by Elita Fell Echo ventures into the deepest depths of the ocean In search of the asteroid's lost black pearl And finds it in the tentacled grip of a giant squid So... Here we are, a year and a half later. Wow, really? Possibly even a little more. Oh my, it's, God, it almost feels as if I haven't done much in that year and a half, you know? Well, (laughs) there are reasons. No Woodrow Phoenix. That shocked me. Mm. I did not remember that. Didn't he write and letter it last time? He wrote the whole thing, but he only lettered the first two parts. Right. And then Tom Frame came in and uh, did the rest of it. But this time okay. it's it's Elitavell. And I have to tell you, armed with the foreknowledge that he didn't write this one, mm-hmm. it really stood out, didn't mm. Didn't you think? Yeah. The difference? It's definitely still got the languid undersea pace. The, so that's all there. Steve White's art is looking as good as ever. I love this panel on the second. The first page is just essentially a recap of the first the first serial. Because believe me, after a year and a half, yeah. it was bloody necessary. Yeah. But I love this panel on the second page here, this first panel, where it's just the endless blue expanse and the, the rocks disappearing yes. into it. Yes. Because the first page being this recap, it's like four, you know, not too big panels telling you what happened and, and that gives you a variety of different things to look at. But then, because that's on a right-hand page, yeah, when you turn the page, it's like you're stepping into an aquarium or something and seeing the, you know, the big wall of glass. The way the ocean opens out two pages of fairly uniform blue and green it just feels like diving in. It, it feels like seeing the ocean spread out in front of you. I think it's really clever technique. It's that nature book feel again. Mm. But the thrust of the issue is simply Echo replicating a mechanism from the game mm. where there's a current yeah. raging up from an ocean trench and to swim down it, he pushes a rock down in front of him and yeah. swims in behind the rock. And 
when he gets to the bottom of it, and this literally takes two pages, and he gets to the bottom of it, and he, he I mean, uh, it's uh, he sees all the strange fish that live down in the depths where sunlight does not reach. Yeah. And he's shocked by seeing them. But it's things like he, he says, by my fins, never before have I seen such strange creatures. And it's, the dialogue is completely um, devoid of the unearthliness and the flourishes that Phoenix would have put into it. He wouldn't have called them strange creatures, you know. He would have called them dark fish <laughs> or glow fish or something like yeah. that. It would all be one word, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. missing that land before timeliness. Yeah, it is. But what it does have, which is uh, kind of comes as a surprise given some of STC's history of this happening with other things, notably Tales, this writer has taken over the project and seems to be on board with what the project was. That is true, actually, yeah. There isn't any kind of uh, brazen attempt by Mackenzie here to do his version of Echo yeah. or anything. It's very much about continuing the story from where it left off and keeping the same general tone. Yeah, and it was always like the whole story of the game cut in two. And mm. it does seem like that's what we're going to be getting yes, from this new yes. version. So that's I'm impressed by that because they didn't that could have just been something in Woodrow's head. Mm. It's funny though that Phoenix had already altered the uh chronology of the game. Yeah. In the game he meets the asteroid, then goes back in time and then encounters the asteroid in the past and is the one who takes the pearl from the asteroid. Mm. And brings it back to the present to give to the asteroid who was only missing it because he took it in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a time loop. Whereas in in the, the strip, he travelled back in time early in the story and then met the asteroid later. And I'm going to have to see where the rest of this goes. Because once again, I've hit a point where I'm realising I knew Echo came back and I remembered uh-huh. this bit in this strip. But no, what happens next? Not even a Baldies. I have <laughs> no clue where this goes. But the thing that jumps out at me is, having replayed a bit of Echo on the Mega Drive Mini, is that this is all very first levely stuff from the game. Hiding yeah. behind a rug to go down through a current and then finding a giant squid. Uh, it's an octopus in the game, but, but... Yeah, but it's like the first boss, isn't it? It's not even a boss. It's just oh. a bit where you have to swim slowly past its tentacles or yeah. it'll batter you with them. Mm. Um, which, and, and in this story, it is what is holding on to the pearl. That makes me wonder, like, did Mackenzie just... Did he only manage to get that far into the game, or what is that? His and it's because he played a little of the game, so he's taken that stuff from even earlier in the game to the point where Phoenix had progressed the story and mm. just dropping it in here now. Is he working off any kind of notes or outline Phoenix maybe left behind? Because, as you say, mm. he is very much just carrying on where it was. Yeah, and I can't, I can't even begin to speculate because I genuinely don't remember what bloody happens. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so we'll just have to look forward to finding out because I'm enjoying it. The, uh, yeah, no, it's lovely to look at, as always. It's definitely. lovely to look at. I think it might be slightly lovelier to look at for some reason. I, I think I got along Possibly. with this a little bit better than I did before. Maybe purely because I was still surprised by the sudden change mid-series mm-hmm. in the last one. Whereas this, such a strong opening, that when you turn that page, it really sets the place and the pace and the sense of it's it. It's like, I don't even... Like the final panel on the second page, as it says, faster and faster Echo swims, and it says, I've never encountered such currents this deep before. Mm -hmm. And simply by painting the background in Mm -hmm. 
various shades of blue in straight lines yeah. rather than a flat field. He's able to convey the sense of current yeah. and speed and swimming. Or then on the next page here, wherever a mighty tear in the ocean floor and from it howls a tremendous upcurrent and you just see the whoosh and the roar of the foam and the spray yeah. all like happening down within the water itself. Yeah. Just, just lovely to look at. Look at that bit, look at that panel there in panel four where he shoves the rock along and it kicks up the sand and dirt from the yes. seabed into a like a buoyant cloud. Yeah. And 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 that's a hundred percent what that is and what that looks like and feels <laughs> like in real life. It's not he has it's not just he hasn't just drawn a dust cloud, he's <laughs> drawn what a cloud of dust looks like underwater. That's a stupid <laughs> sentence, but you know what I I'm know trying what you mean, to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is a good... And and again, if you weren't with us in the earlier episodes, listeners, this is all painted. There's not any outlines anywhere on this. It's paintings. Like nature paintings. That's what it looks like. It's, yeah, it's, it's proper, like, kids' nature book stuff. It's quite... Quite an achievement, but that and, and and it's really that's just the one thing that's missing from the experience of the strip as a whole, where Phoenix's dialogue and narration complemented that sense of a nature book. This is just it's just it's just pretty straightforward narration, you know. And look, it's it's trying, you know, with lines like "from it howls a tremendous upcurrent," you know, it's mm-hmm. it's 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 a good impression, but mm-hmm. you know, you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. But it is an impression. But, like, fair play to Mackenzie, he's very much, from all appearances, trying to follow in the the footsteps of Phoenix and create, like, an experience in the comic that is congruent with what Mm. has gone before it. Um, I guess we'll just have to see if maybe he finds the balance a little a little better as we go on through this serial. I'm looking forward to finding out because no, I can't remember what happens either, and I and I know that I didn't like it when I was a kid, and I do now, which means more STC for me. Center pages. Yeah. A chaotic SBO the chameleon STC pinup. Blown up beyond all reason. <laughs> uh, yep. This is just the uh, the character. Well, I guess I guess you'd call it a character render nowadays, but it's the yeah. the stock art or whatever. Mm. It's the character model of SBO from all the promotional artwork for Chaotix. But it. Yeah. I don't know if it's the way it was drawn, mm-hmm. the fact it's been blown up and become so jaggy around the edges. Mm-hmm. Or some combination of the two. But it does kind of create the sort of impression of 3D. Yes, it? Early I, I 3D think, gaming. <laughs> I think what it is, is I think it's, um, along with that iconic shot of um, Metal Sonic from Metal behind. Metal Sonic, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah, I think it's not a 3D computer rendered thing. It's from a time when people were trying to paint to look like it was. That's what I think this is. Made to look like it was done on computers, but actually they didn't necessarily have computers that could do it. Or it could be. It could be a 3D model that's been rendered out. It's difficult to tell because the details are lost because this is obviously a very small image that they have Mm. because this size blown up to two pages of the comic, um, you know, on its side so that it makes a kind of a a portrait uh, aspect pinup. Everything is that kind of jagged where you you know you blow a small pixelated picture which wouldn't even be pixelated if you looked at it the right size but but that's the format it's delivered to you into a much bigger thing so everything has these steps around it including the outlines to you know his eyes and mouth and things and on top of that they're blurry and have the the vaguest sense of a little halo so it's like a clumsy you know photoshop enlargement i get the sense we'll be seeing a few more of these (laughs) over the next couple of issues (laughs) yes 
Knuckles Tales. Knuckles and Tales, The Revenge of Trog, Part 2. Written and drawn by Nigel Kitching, letters by Elita Fell. Playing along with the Nameless Zone's mistaken belief that he is Tails' assistant, Sonic, Knuckles takes on the mutated Errol and is able to subdue and imprison him. Then, he and Tails head into the land beyond to find and rescue the Enchanter Kings. I don't know if you're going to be able to put up with me for six issues on the trot. <laughs> Just go in. Every time Nigel Kitching draws Sonic characters. Puts pen to paper to I draw anything. Love it. Yeah. So it, much, dude. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, did you just say dude? Is that part of your uh, lexicon? Listen, I do say it sometimes. <laughs> oh, it's all right when you do it, is it? Yes, it is. You don't have the kid. You don't have the cadence for it. Okay. <laughs> dude. No, it's an impression of me. It's very good. Yeah, okay. Anyway. Yeah. But isn't it? Isn't it great? Isn't it just great? He draws such a good knuckles. Yeah. And he manages to look like... You sometimes see, if anybody's trying to draw a piece of art that kind of parodies STC or anything mm -hmm. like that, Teals often has quite a big forehead on it. Oh, I've never noticed. It's a bit of a result of how Elson would just sort of... The proportions of his art would shift and change over time, mm. you know? But um, it's all it's all traceable back to the use of the... Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. model as the style guide image for Tails. Mm -hmm. Like we've talked a little bit about this style guide that uh, has has reflected the appearance of Sonic spikes at certain times. Mm -hmm. But it was this European market style guide which had Sonic and did the turnaround with the strange sort of conical drooping spike, mm -hmm. and it used the Adventures Robotnik design, which is why we have that, and it used the Tails Adventures design. And you can really see here. Mm. That Kitching is drawing the Adventures Tales oh, model yeah. more clear than any other artist who's previously drawn it before. But isn't it adorable? Yeah, he makes it what it should be. Isn't it great? Doesn't he look brilliant? Yeah, even though he's so carefully adhering to this style guide that it's almost the same head every time. Yeah, almost. But it just looks good. He just knows what to do with it. All the bits are just in the right places. Yeah. And his knuckles is so good. Oh, every yeah. time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just going to. I, I promise <laughs> I'm going to try and have more nuanced critique of this strip over the course of it. But every time I turn the page, look at his knuckles. Look mm -hmm. at how all the bits come to this. These big, bold, sweeping lines come right down to that big point of his nose. Yeah. Oh, he looks so good. It, it, he's definitely referencing Elson work, like this panel on page two, the head-on shot of Knuckles oh, yes. going doing the ooh mouth. Yeah, that's just that's just Elson. It's like they don't have a style guide ref for Knuckles. They've mm. got Richard Elson art yeah. to reference for Knuckles. And I mean, when you're starting from such a strong base, anyway, with Richard Elson. <laughs> yeah, he knows how to take a shape and turn it round and do different things with it. And everyone else is looking and going like, "Oh yes, okay, we'll do that." And then there's something about the bold simplicity of Kitching's lines mm, applied to that, and the simpler coloring that is just there's just something about it strips knuckles down to his base elements of sharp <laughs> lines and a slanty smile yeah oh it's so good and then those both of those tails and knuckles are contrasted against this enormous man of lumps yes this proper knobbly decap attack monster yeah it's just a yeah this muscle bound creature that has exactly if it turned up in decap attack it would look exactly you like be surprised this. yeah yeah 
and that contrasts with them and then also the way that the way that Nigel's drawing the um shaman warple with his beard and his I don't know quite what it is about it that I like, but I really like his shaman warble. And um, it's just, and then and then behind all that, those backgrounds and those are good. As well. It's just all good. Yeah, look at those extra foxes appearing in the background on the last two pages. Yeah, I like that. He's making a point. Like they're all very simple, scribbly background yeah. characters because they're off in the distance. But he's not just drawing tail's face. Yeah, it's not like when Dave Windit just drew Tails' head on a bunch of differently sized bodies, and they've got such little grumpy faces. <laughs> well, I'd be grumpy too if that was plonked down in the middle of me time. <laughs> yeah, but Knuckles is able to knock out the mutant arrow, and uh, and, and they lock him up in stocks. Mm. I would never have expected Tails and Knuckles to be such a great double act. There's something about Tails's like general yeah. naivety that you would maybe have thought would sort of get on Knuckles' tits. Yeah, yeah. But that's because, like Tails, we're used to Sonic. There is a heartbreaking moment on page five in which Tails cannot comprehend a heroic friend not wanting to humiliate him. Oh, well, I, oh, I, I, I don't <laughs> know about bit? that. I mean, I, no, that seems a bit harsh. It's, it's like Tails knows he's lying. And yes. he, it's like Tails, Tails would actually quite like to tell the truth to these people, but yeah. they would never listen to him. They're just not letting but, him, yeah. But Knuckles has decided to play along. Knuckles, why are you letting them think you're Sonic and that you work for me? And he goes, hey, I don't want to embarrass you or anything. Besides, it's a relief to be in a zone where people don't worship that little blue show off. <laughs> yeah, it's the difference between Sonic and Knuckles that makes it so interesting to put Tails and Knuckles together. And that's why it, like, I still, I think of this as a Tails strip rather than a Tails and Knuckles strip because... Yeah, this is Knuckles guest starring yeah, in the world yeah, yeah. of Tails, but... And yet, I see why they called it that. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, Knuckles is the one who gets <laughs> done in this strip. He beats the crap out of mm. Evil Errol. And it's just a brilliant team-up, and it it does communicate something about Sonic and Tails' team-up by making the Sonic part of it different, by giving it... You know, so Sonic and Knuckles are still sort of rivals, even though they're friends. Yeah, you know. the friendly rivals, yeah. And so they come at it with these different perspectives. I think that's really what sells it in a way that you just wouldn't sort of have expected, but that's Kitching just cutting cutting to the heart of it again, you know. Sonic and Tails have a sort of a specific kind of relationship hmm. that Tails is okay with. You yeah. know, Tails will call Sonic out on his... Oh yeah, we've seen it. And Knuckles and Sonic have a specific kind of relationship. So mm. it's not just that now Tails and Knuckles have their own relationship, but they have a relationship that's so informed by how they in turn relate to Sonic. Mm. So Knuckles is perfectly happy to play along with this ruse because it's like <laughs> they think I'm Sonic. <laughs> 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 And he's genuinely here to try and big up Tails. Yeah. Knuckles says, don't worry, Tails has a plan. I do? Uh, I mean, of course I do. Yes, I thought if we all sat down and wrote a, a stiff letter to Trog... Uh, nah, what Tails means is he thinks he and I should go to the land beyond and bust out the Enchanter Kings. Ooh, uh, uh, yeah, that was that was my other plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knuckles is... he So Knuckles is up for a fight because he's Knuckles. But he's a good lad, isn't he? He's letting Tails have the credit, you know. He's it's 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 really good. It, yeah, it's fun. It's good and yeah. fun. And it it really makes me want to see these characters together as much as I possibly can. And for yeah. the next couple of issues, I can. But Knuckles' awareness of the fact that Tails is lying and everything, yeah. he doesn't just take it lying down either. You know, like this this bar we throws in the final panel. Knuckles, are you sure this plan is a good idea? 
hey, I'm with the hero of the nameless zone. What can go wrong? <laughs> yeah, he's got his own way of ripping the piss out of Tails. <laughs> There's different to Sonics and <laughs> supportive of him in a different way and not supportive of him in a different way. Listen, Tails has landed himself in a situation in his own yeah. strips where he deserves to have the piss ripped out of him. Mm. Mm. You have lied your way into this embarrassing situation <laughs> that you will not... It's like he'd like to tell them, but he can't sack up enough to actually just say the words. <laughs> he will never say, will you shut up a minute and let me explain? It's always, um, no, I, I'm, I have to... Not right now, son, there's missions afoot. Oh, okay. And you see, you know, <laughs> what we've ended up with is, uh, I think we've both connected way more with what is good an idea about this Nameless Zone stuff now. Which is that, mm. you know, when, when it started off, we were a little bit confused why we'd be interested in this Goblins stuff and, and so on and so on. And what we've ended up with is, I know it's a really good sort of marooned on an island episode type thing where you get to examine these characters and their relationships to each other. And of course, it works better now that we have Tails and rather than just Tails on his own. That's what I was going to say. Because yeah. make no mistake, as inured to it as we are now after 40 issues and more... Mm. It's still really weird that Tails comes from a magic land of goblins and ogres. <laughs> that is a bit weird. Well, it is. Does he boil well, it back down? Remember, it, and, and we unpacked it all the way back. <laughs> that is trying to create a contrast with Sonic's world of science and robots and all that. And he has to come from another dimension yeah. because it, ha- it can't be on Mobius. Because if it was on Mobius, there's no way we wouldn't know who Sonic was yes. and all that. It's still weird. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah. certainly Mark Isles didn't milk it for anything interesting when he did one Nameless Zone story about the goblins and everything. But even the second strip that Kitching did, it was about having Errol Blackthorne find out about Tails' big yes. big bluff and everything, and that added a bit of flavour to it. And he also seeded the Dark One stuff. We have Errol here say, what is it that he says... I have the power of the Dark One himself. Mm-hmm. So we're coming back to that. And now we have not... I mean... Who knows what Kitching's plan to originally explore the Dark One stuff would have been if he'd been able to follow it up in the late 20s when Mark Isles did the Goblin story instead of now 30 issues later. But the addition of Knuckles to this is a masterstroke. Yeah. That really makes the whole scenario come alive. Now that's maybe he would have used Amy, you know, maybe he would yeah. have used Johnny Lightfoot. But Knuckles is perfect because Knuckles he is has, perfect. He has just that balance between being a capable guy and a slightly sassy guy that he get he slots into this just perfectly i mean, we don't know if he ever planned to use another character or not but i'm running through them in my head and it's like porker useless mm. no no function at all johnny would just have gone along with it and been boring <laughs> amy as written by Stringer, hmm. could have come quite close to mm-hmm. what's being accomplished with Knuckles here, but that Amy didn't exist yet. No. So it's right. just, I can't imagine how this would have unfolded as as well as it's unfolding now without Knuckles. Yeah. Maybe he planned to have Sonic find out. You know, yeah. maybe that was the culmination, but that wouldn't have been nearly as fun. No, it's you know, so much just, more fun. It's than just the best that form. Knuckles is taken. keeping up the subterfuge is funny. And that's why he's doing it, is because it's yeah, funny. Because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Next issue, a bridge too far as they cross the bridge to the land beyond. Oh, I am so looking for... Yeah. This is... Like, when I read this, yeah. 
I was like, oh, this is it. This is the MVP stuff. This is the... Be- Wait a minute. This is an issue with the Brotherhood of Metallics in it. And, <laughs> and then I'm still somehow zeroing in on this as the most fun thing in the comic. Ooh. And that's how I know that it's good times. It's a good times issue. <laughs> what happens if we turn the page in this good times issue, Chris? <laughs> Oh, it's the bad times. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. There is always oh, got to be yeah, something to drag us down. Oh, mm. but but fortunately, it's the final, the third, unfortunately, final part of the FIFA 95 special. And it's it's the worst one yet, honest to God. I mean, I, 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 I can't imagine you succeeded in reading this because no, no, this no, time no. even I didn't. As far as I can tell, this is just David Gibbon once again framing his tips and play guide around real life football Mm. more so than ever this time where it seems like he is essentially giving you instructions on how to replicate the play and scoring style of real life footballers in the game yeah rather than actually walking you through any kind of programmable or deliberate functions and features of the game it's like here is how to move your little computer man in the manner of mr ryan giggs yeah i want to die it assumes that the reader when you say uh, Ian sure shot right, it assumes that everyone knows what that means in terms of moves, like what the signature move of that person is. And, and, and I don't... Well, it means to play the ball across the floor with a short pass to feet. For, okay, I still don't. Oh, I God. still don't I'm know what so, that is. <laughs> I'm so tired. I am so tired. Oh, my God. This is what I don't like about football, right? This is a person just... Showing off by saying football words. <laughs> Top cheats. He finishes out this three-part guide with two big... And yeah. he calls them cheats. Yeah, so you get a bit ex- interested then. But they're not... Don't... When you hear cheats, don't think button press codes. No. He means ways to literally cheat in real life. <laughs> is that what it is? Taking penalties is his first suggestion. When in a penalty shootout with your pals, and pals here, he means real-life yeah. friends playing the game with you in real life in the same room whenever that's how we used to play video games. Yeah. Coach Co-op! Yeah. When in a penalty shootout with your pals, make it obvious which way you're going to shoot by holding the D-pad in front of them and what? holding left. After they've noticed you, switch right at the last second before shooting to score an easy goal. Once your friends what? know what you're doing... Don't switch sides because they'll be expecting you to. Cruel, but it works very well. Real life hacks <laughs> as to how to gaslight your friends into the way you play in the game. So he's expecting you to out the hold joypad the joypad in front of you out. in a really obvious way. Yeah. So I can see your button presses. So what's the other one then? Number two, winning a free kick. When in possession of the ball, keep your back to your opponents because it's illegal for them to tackle you from behind. So once they do it, voila, a free kick is yours for the taking. But... But, okay, I grant you that's not a real life. Cheat. Well, but it might but be. It might be because I bet the computer player wouldn't do that. So I bet that's just for when you're playing with your friends. Oh yeah, you're probably right actually because it was like so yeah, this is that like, probably is a real life cheat. Yeah, it's like a tips and trick. It reminds me of you know something you get in a fun facts telling you how to like fool your friends by you yeah know, how how to do the thing where it looks like you take your thumb off that stuff. <laughs> but football games. Yeah. Oh oh, I've never been as tired trying to read the cues <laughs> on honestly i'm impressed you even tried no warning about what's coming next issue but uh oh my god right. whew, jesus no more please 
Graphic Zone. It's a back to school graphic zone, or at least it sure would like you to think it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, of the what it was, seven pictures here, mm. two and a half of them maybe are school related, sure. and they've really had to beat a bunch of other ones into a mm. formula. <laughs> All right, so what have we got? The first one, Julianne Morse of Bedminster, Bristol, has drawn Sonic with a, a school uniform painted onto his nude body. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's uh. I, mm. Uh, and and his arms growing out of his neck, growing out of his neck. Yeah, it's a it's what it is is that she's tried to draw Sonic in a school uniform, but has started with the base shapes of Sonic rather than drawing the uniform over it. So mm. the circle of his body is you know drawn in and coloured in with the details of a school uniform. Listen, that that's tricky. I get that why n- that happened. No, I'm not judging it. No. Like I, I really like the way she's drawn his head. It's very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's carrying a school bag, mm. and then to the right of that, Lewis Woodstock from Taunton in Somerset has drawn. Uh, well, it's the same thing as Sonic in a school uniform, but a a proper old Beano looking school mm, yeah. uniform, and uh, accomplished purely with the addition of a cap. The cap, but otherwise he's wearing a normal. Do they call thing. it a blazer, a, a jacket that yeah. a child wears, a tie, and everything? So it's very old-fashioned sort of uniform. Or, or hey. over, mind you, his nude body. Over his nude body. Oh, that's <laughs> what the yellow circle a, is. I was trying to think. He's not wearing a shirt. No. He's got a collar he and a tie, a but there's no shirt. You can see his big yellow tummy through the. Uh, oh, I was going like blazer. I was going did like. You just call what? a blazer old-fashioned. I wore a blazer in secondary school. Oh, did yeah. you? Oh, yeah. No, we didn't. We we. Had, I mean, we had an optional jumper. To go over our shirt, but no, we didn't have a blazer. Like, like mm, we had blazers. I think I get, I'll tell you why I think of it as old fashioned. It's because it's because my dad said that's what he used to wear. So I thought of it as a oh, that's what they used uh, to do. But uh, yeah, no. But we certainly didn't have a tie, and we certainly didn't have a hat. Oh, we didn't have a tie. We wore ties through no. primary and secondary school. Now that you say that, I realise I think there was such a thing as a tie. In primary school, because you could have a version that had like an elastic bit you just put over your head so you didn't have to learn to tie it. But, proper ties. Uh, proper ties here, my friend. Wow. I can't do a tie. Could you tie a tie now? No. Still... Well, look at how you've lost out. I know. Yeah, I can't. What if you have to go to a funeral? Yeah. <laughs> well, I just go to them without a tie, I think. <laughs> I guess that's what I must do. For me, the only the thing that makes this look oldie style is purely mm. the cap. Because the yeah. only place I think of school caps is Just William and Cuthbert yes. from the Bash Street Kids. That's yeah, literally yeah, yeah. the only place I would think of a school cap from. And the one remaining sort of school-themed one is from Peter Vaughan from Brighton in East Sussex over on the opposite page. And it's Sonic as a lollipop man, a school crossing man, a crossing guard, to use the American terminology so you know what we're talking about. Yes. Here. But it's just Sonic with the lollipop and the hat. Yep. And then there's the rest. Yeah. Bottom left, you've got uh, Alison Headley of Roland's Gill, Tyne and Weir. I don't know if that's Roland's Jill, Tyne and Weir. A good drawing. A very good drawing. Yes, good drawing. Of a girl, Knuckles. And of course, Alison has, being a girl, she herself knows the accoutrements of girl in the 90s, which is bow and eyelashes and uh, Marge Simpson or Wilma Flintstone style pearl necklace. No lipstick, though. No lipstick, no. Well, that's not necessary. Alison wouldn't have been wearing that herself, presumably. And age. a skirt too. Oh yes, and a skirt, yeah, and uh, and the word fist, 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 written over and over again in the background. <laughs> How did we fist, say fist, 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 fist with the exact same <laughs> cadence? How did that happen? <laughs> it's like a, what it is is she's picked a. What she's done is she's picked a cool background pattern to go behind this picture. 
It's on a diagonal, it's a repeat pattern, it's yellow on green. Unfortunately, the pattern she has chosen is the word fist. Now, I won't rule out that this is Alison Headley's original character, Fist the Echidna. (gasps) Yes! I won't rule it out. It's gotta be! The attempted tie-in caption that STC has added is, Knuckles adopts a new look for the new term. Mm. Mm. But I won't rule out the possibility that this is Fist the Echidna, which is problematic in its own regard. Sure, but... Alison wouldn't have known that, so that's fine. No. (laughs) Then we have um, Peter Thomas, who hasn't sent in his full address, has drawn a picture that they've captioned, Robotnik Dishes Out Detention. Yeah. And I don't know what to make of it, because it's a drawing of Frankenstein from Decapitac with orange hair like Kinterborn. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's 100% of what it is. And I, I, looking at it, I sort of thought, like, maybe this person has decided to combine those two characters by changing that colour, and that may be the case. Mm. But it's nothing to do with school. And I don't know what he's wearing. He seems to have a tie. Mm-hmm. Sort of, it's a giant head on a small body. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, And the body is just kind of like a white... Well, I should, not even a body, it's a torso. And there are two small feet sticking out the bottom of the torso. And he might be wearing a tie, so maybe the idea is that they think he's supposed to look like a teacher because he's wearing a suit. But they were really struggling Mm. with that one. Mm. Matched only (laughs) by, to the right here, Kyle Padley from Fort William in Scotland. Rather nice drawing Uh of Amy in um, some clothes. She's wearing a t-shirt, red and black striped t-shirt. Polo shirt. Polo shirt, rather. It's got a collar and buttons, polo shirt. And some polka dot shorts. Yes, and she's saying, be healthy like me. Which is odd, isn't it? And that is STC's gateway to, to the caption... Amy teaches some home economics. I suppose. Uh, I don't know what that was supposed to be. No, it's weird even without it, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Worth mentioning that this is a Gary Andrews-style Amy Rose, isn't it? This is... A little bit, yeah. I think this is copied from a panel of his Sonic 2 party. Maybe, yeah. Her hair is doing weird things, Mm. and her eyelashes are coming out of uh, her cheeks. Yeah, well, the reason that he's doing that is because it's sort of a child's interpretation of what Gary Andrews did, which is that he's got... I mean, I've just found the first... I've Googled it now, and the first and only panel of his Amy that I can find has this. You're 100% right. I I don't know whether any more did it or not. But what he's actually doing is he's just drawn the eyelashes quite far down the eyes so that they do sort of intersect with the cheek. And then um, uh, Kyle Padley here has taken that fairly literally and gone that's Kyle where they has come from. definitely copied this panel hasn't he because yeah. amy's hair is doing the flick that it's oh, like yeah, it's not the, yeah. it's not a direct copy he's no. changed the angle yeah. but the hair is doing the flick exactly and amy's got a sort of a, a, a angry eyebrows that look too small and close together for her head from the angle he's drawn it from here but yeah i know he's a hundred percent uh, uh copied that i guess that's why i just sort of like it anyway then there's mm. that there's that Gary Andrews energy at the core of it. But I'll tell you what else he's done. I think this is, you know, despite little mistakes like that, I think this is a kid who can draw because yeah, he's because of the fact that he's decided to draw it at a different angle, and that's like a, a brave thing to do. But also, um, look at the ears; they're completely different. They're a different sort of ears, which he's done. So the the, the way that they're different is that a sonic ear is a triangle with a triangle in it. Yeah. What Kyle has drawn here is like a, a cat's ear type, where it's like yeah. a triangle, but with, how do I describe it? It goes all the way to the point, 
the in you could see the inside yeah. of the ear. It's like a hollow, concave ear. So I mean, yeah. that is what a sonic ear is supposed to. That's represent. what it's representing. Yeah, it's just the way it's drawn and on two, in two dimensions is how it, it looks. But but here mm. uh, here Kyle has essentially accounted for the fact that he has taken this Gary Andrews yeah. drawing and rotated yeah. it. And so, rather than being the little triangle within the triangle ear, the 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 perspective of Amy's ear has changed. So yes, yeah. I, I agree with you completely. There is there's real artistic awareness here. Yeah, from Kyle. Made. And then we're rounded out with one from John Habashi from Irvine in Scotland, who's drawn a mad scientist Sonic type thing. Yes, I can't quite tell what he's doing. He seems to have a little egomatic on a trolley or something. Yeah, on, on wheels or on a trolley or something. And uh, that's it. Yeah, there's a there's a <laughs> a lab table in the background with potions and chemicals and things he's holding maybe a calculator yeah, or whatever some kind of a little engine motor on the floor he's got a little einstein mad scientist mustache and they've captioned it professor sonic right. again to try and tie in with the thing try and make it be uh, but um they've printed his full home address yes whoops whoops because and i won't read it out but um john habashi has written his home address like all of it postcode everything on the picture and and it's a white background picture so all they had to do was put a bit of paper on top of it in the scanner they haven't done that and so they've cropped it but the parts they've cropped are the bits they've already printed themselves immediately above it so we have his the the, the number of his door number and his postcode yeah, are the bits street that are number yeah <laughs> um, whoops that's not that's not a very Good decision, STC. <laughs> but speaking of intimate childhood details, Dave. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How's that for a segue? I have alerted Chris to the fact that uh, in my diary for this sort of time period, we finally have another explicit mention of Sonic the Comic. This is something yes. Chris has been looking forward to. Desperate. Gasping for it. <laughs> There's actually two entries from around now, but only one of them actually strictly comes into the time period that this issue was for. So I'll, I'll read it out. Mm, yes, we, we missed one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Saturday, the 2nd of September, 1995, 10.13pm. This is the day this issue came out. Yep. And the entry says, New STC today, issue 60. That's it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, for a slight more little nugget of content, I do have one that actually was Saturday the 26th of August. Would that fall just before this? Yeah, that's yeah. between the previous issue and this one, yeah. This is a roundabout mention of STC, because I've written this at 10.07pm. Uh, I've written, Today I started an STC, brackets Sonic the Comic. Asterisk, footnote. <laughs> Story finder guide thingy. And what this was is that I'd made a little, uh, what you would now do in Excel or something, a spreadsheet, mm -hmm. but on uh, in some book somewhere, I don't know where. And it says, I've made columns for Sonic one-parters, Sonic mega-tails, which is apparently what I've decided to call <laughs> multi-parters. The epic. Yeah. Knuckles, Tails, Short Fuse, Metallixes, Metamorphia, Specials, Marxio Brothers... Oh, fully cross-referenced, then. And every other game strip. I am listing each story and what issue it's in. Oh, gosh, that is a deeper level of fussery than I ever thought I was capable of. Oh, no, that is... 
Yeah, that's the sort of lame shit I got up to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I never did it for STC, but but it's the kind of making a records keeping and fact filing that mm. uh, that I would have done a lot of. Yeah, and 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 the thing is, I didn't do that, so I was expecting it to be like, oh, I bet I did three issues. No, it says it. I've done up to issue fifty nine, the last one Ooh. out, and busy, busy, and the two summer specials. So, and then I finished it the following day on Sunday the twenty seventh. I don't know what else there was to do because I was up to date, but... <laughs> well, where is it? I know. I d- it doesn't say here, so I can't just go and fetch it. <laughs> there's no... Yeah, there's no C-Box F12 yeah. like in your, in your journal to find the files. <laughs> Sadly not. So we don't know and we may never know. We, we will know because I'll find it one day and I'll mention it then. But there we go. I mean, it'd be handy to have now, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it might be, actually, yeah. Yeah. I wonder how far you updated it. Well, I, I'm almost certain I didn't go further, but I can picture it. Have I seen it lately? I Yeah, those columns and little draw. It's one of those things where I would write the name and then draw the column around it so that I knew how big mm, it would yeah. have to be. So they're all funny shapes and they've got little angles coming off them and stuff. <laughs> so if I ever find it, I will put it up on the Twitter. Yes, please. Sonic's World. The Seven Badniks, Part 2, written by Mark Isles, drawn by Mike Hadley, colours by John Burns, and letters by Steve Potter, who is unfortunately miscredited as Tom Frame. Uh. Cam and Bert have to use a show of force to coerce the aggressive badniks of the Palm Tree Panic Zone to accompany them to the Green Hill Zone. But once they arrive, the Palm Tree Badniks immediately begin attacking the old-style Green Hill Badniks, who are helpless before them. Cam and Bert are forced to step in and help, evacuating the surviving Green Hill Badniks to safety and leaving the Palm Tree Badniks to take over the zone. I am now starting to get this. I think this is a good idea now. This idea of they have this plan to import these Badniks that are a bit more advanced and they all start Mm. scrapping and now it's up to these two to deal with that in some way or be in that... I'm getting it. I'm starting to get this. I mean, the scrapping definitely wasn't part of the plan mm. here. But, no, it's a, yeah, it's a solid... The, 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 I think we said it last time. The premise is solid. Mm. Move badniks from one zone to another. It's taking an idea from the games and juggling it about a bit. And, uh, yeah, to, to build a, a story out of it. And it does the lore stuff that I like. This, this strip is recognising that there are different badniks in different zones and that, mm. part, that Sonic CD came out later, so they're more advanced. I like that stuff. And it's just always nice to see classic badniks as well. Yeah, yeah. Seeing a crab meat wandering around or whatever. Yeah. Weird touch, though, where um, they go to the Palm Tree Panic Zone and they get the badniks and they take off and there's a rabbit who watches them leave and says, wait till Sonic hears about this. What are you doing up there? Oh, yeah. Nobody lives up there. No, you're right there. (laughs) And I guess Sonic's presumably going to hear about this later in the series. Not to my recollection. No, not to mine either. So that's a very odd thing to have put in at all. Yeah. And it looks... I know that we've had this conversation before, but now this deep into the comic, that rabbit looks so Johnny Lightfooty. Yeah, yeah. That I was like, is that Johnny? And it... You, well, it's not because he's wearing a blue he's t-shirt a blue t- with yeah. yellow trim. But but still, it didn't yeah. even... I didn't even remember that... Yeah, of course. Why would he be there? This is the... This it's is the miracle, the miracle planet. planet. Yeah. Huh. 
you know, there's, there's a few fun bits here, like, you know, where they, they turn up and the badniks are like, who's going to make us leave? We like it here, so go away and leave us alone or else. And Bert just brings the hammer down on the head of the offending badnik and obliterates it. <laughs> and I definitely appreciate what happens more or less. Actually... What? It doesn't, right, it doesn't really, <laughs> visually, the continuity doesn't make sense or whatever. Maybe the rabbit came out of that badnik? <gasps> oh! They probably wouldn't have let it scamper off, though. But it would make sense, uh, just to, to justify the continuity. Yeah, and nothing else happens. No, they just pop the one, yeah. Although, now if that's the case, that's wrong, isn't it? Because isn't it... Flowers. That oh come yeah, out then. that it's just little flowers on the mirror. Or, well, or is that just I'm when it's not, good future? I'm not going to get on the case of that because I mean, yeah, you have bad nicks have to have organic batteries. Yeah, 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 yeah. STC lower. I definitely appreciate the next thing that happens, which is where Bert comments that a zone with no bad nicks makes me feel all spooky. <laughs> <laughs> I would feel all spooky, even if you just played a Sonic level and it randomly had no bad nicks. That would be that a would, bit spooky. Yeah, I never thought of it like that, but that would be a bit unsettling. Yeah, I feel yeah, all yeah, weird. Yeah. No robots or anything in it. Yeah. Even though that's the goal. That's the end game. Yeah. But, uh, but still... <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then the uh, the the palm tree badniks just start absolutely litting into the uh, the green hill badniks, blowing them up. Once one one here just dive bot one of those mosquito. Ba- These are all still as badly drawn as they were last issue, but <laughs> one of those mosquito type ones just absolutely impales a crab meat on its nose spike. You know they're blowing up everywhere. Cam and Bert have to jump in and start battering and hammering and using big guns and everything. We won't be able to get the palm tree panic badniks back under control now they've tasted oil. So like it's that. just they got to get them out of there and leave them to take over. And then next issue, next issue, three parts into what I believe mm. is a four-part story. Enter the seven badniks, the badniks that the strip is titled after. Mm, yeah. And I don't remember what they are. I'm, I've been, up till now, I've been assuming it would be a seven samurai gag or a seven dwarfs gag. I, I think maybe that's where the name is being lifted from, but I think I remember what they are and okay. where they come from. But I'm going to have to read next issue before I can be sure. And I'll be quite interested because this strip has, basically Mark Isles seems to have a Mark Miller style approach to badniks where they're, these little guys who are crabby yeah. and they say things. And um, so, yes, into that, I'm not expecting, you know, whatever those uh, whatever those egg robos from Sonic Mania mm. are called. I'm not expecting that. I'm expecting... The hard-boiled heavies. Yeah, I'm not expecting hard-boiled heavies. I'm expecting no. just, I don't know, outspoken badniks or something. We'll see. What a cruddy zone. Will you look at those feeble badniks? Yeah, this is our zone now. Let's scrag them. We're not going to share this zone with old-style badniks. Grr, little, little thugs, little hard cases. Oh, I hope they I hope they look good, because I can envision, you know, some artists designing just silver guys or something, you know? Yeah, we've seen things like that. But no, no, I can remember what they look like. Oh. I remember, yeah. Right. So, well, it... Listen... This is a weird four-parter. Like, right. the core idea, like the original Catman Bird, the core idea is strong. Uh-huh. You know, where the original one was, like, the behind-the-scenes of the workaday world of the normal people who have to keep the cogs of the evil empire world. And this one is like, what if they took some badniks from one zone and put them in another zone so Sonic didn't know what was coming? The simplest... It's a weird four-parter. It's going to get a little weirder. Okay. <laughs> That's all I got for now. <laughs> Sports. I'm immediately drawn uh-huh. to this piece of art by Wayne Bradford in the top left here, Mega Drive 2 owner. Yeah, it's quite something, isn't it? Captioned 
prehistoric Sonic. Don't know why. Not a, a clue why. It's it's a how do you how do you begin to describe this? I would say it's like a child with above average artistic abilities, like quite a bit mm-hmm. above average, yes. but not of the sort that lends itself to drawing Sonic. So Sonic doesn't mm. look quite right. Trying to make something, maybe along the lines of like those Signosis game covers, Shadow of the Beast and stuff, it's all interesting shapes and spray cans and lighting effects. There's a lot and... of airbrushing and lighting mm. going on, isn't it? It's got to be airbrushed, right? It's got to be. It's all... It's very side of a van art again. Yes. I looked at it and I thought it was maybe another one of Lynn Triplett's pieces, but it's a completely different side of a van aesthetic than <laughs> uh, than than her previous piece had. And it's Sonic holding a ring uh-huh. and he looks like maybe he's got a ring around his neck as well he's as, got, a, yeah, as a collar. Yeah. And he's standing on maybe it's the edge of a cliff. It's the edge of something. Uh, one suspects uh, yeah. there was more to this picture than has been shown to us. Maybe not that much more. No. But, but yeah. And there's a sort of column of jewels yes. ascending up beside him. Yeah. And and Or at least it's jewels. The, it's a column of jewels, but then with something on the top of it that he's reaching for that there's no way of telling. Oh, it's what a ring. It is. He's reaching for a ring. It's a ring. Well, okay, but but everything it's on, it's like a weird chrysalis of knobbly bit. They stop being jewels. Y- at the yes, top. that they do definitely. But you see the ring sticking yes. out the side. Yes. Yeah, that's what he's reaching for. But he's got a big, it, it, like it's Sonic, mm. but his spikes are drawn in such a way that they form like an Elvis pompadour. Yeah, and they sweep around. From his back to his front, as almost as if he was holding like a a shawl or a cape and drawing it across himself. Yeah, and they're they're hanging a bit like stalactites off him or something. Yeah. Do you know what I think? What? I think this picture was captioned prehistoric Sonic because somebody in the office who wasn't really paying attention thought that he's standing on the end of a dinosaur's snout. Yeah. I can understand that because it has they those might be mistaken for teeth. For teeth. But then but it own if there was any more of this picture on the sides which from the clues here I suspect there was a, at least a little bit of and probably only I think a it's bit only of. a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I think even a little bit would show that that isn't what it is. It's a very strange one. Because look at what's happening behind his feet. It's like a bridge. It's like slats of a bridge. Oh, yeah. I totally didn't read that, but you're completely right. Yeah. You see what I mean? So that... Uh, slats of a bridge, yeah. So it probably is a clip. But what? what is this column of jewels? Wayne, please get in touch. Explain it. Wayne Bradford of wherever you live, because it doesn't say. This is fascinating. Oh, and, it's wor- and, and we've already said this, but it's worth saying, like, really focusing on the fact that the art of this is very accomplished. Like, Very much so. It immediately catches your eye. I yeah. remember looking at this from when I was a kid. Yeah. It's... it's Looking at the top of his head, it might not be spray cans. It might be fine cross-hatching made to look like spray cans. It's something amazing that makes him look gleaming. Like he's made out of... Like he's a little, not-quite-on-model pewter figure of Sonic that you've got somehow. The craft fair or something. It's fascinating what this is i want to know more 
Below that, we have a letter from Paul Spencer, Summertime Blues, mm. who said he was very disappointed with the 1995 Sonic Summer Special because nearly all the stories were printed before in the Sonic poster mm. mags. And Megadroid responds, the Summer Special was marked up as a classic collection, Paul, i.e. it was made up of popular strips taken from the regular comic. These are mainly put together for comic fans who do not normally buy regular copies of STC. What was it? Though? And they did call it a classic. They did? Yeah, in the contents page or something. They said something to that. Okay, effect, okay. Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. You get the vibe, maybe they get a couple of letters? Yeah. Isn't this the it, issue that they would reprint Ron and give it a completely straight and serious answer? I'm always quite impressed, actually, when they do print criticisms of this sort, even if they've got an answer for it, because it's like, they didn't have to. They can just pick. And um, mm. that is a like an actual gripe that I ha- would have had as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you didn't own the poster mics. Well, no, so it was fine. But do you know what I mean? That's, that's what it, You were the person it was for. Yeah. So that's the sort of thing that would have annoyed me, though. And I can totally understand Paul writing in with that. And, yeah, that's kind of good of them to, to actually print it and explain. Wide boyo. Yeah. This is uh, Richard Hodgson of Gwent, South Wales, hence the boyo. Dear STC, since Sega games are so expensive, it's about time... Bl- <laughs> it's a... <laughs> It's about since Sega games are so expensive. It's about time blank game cartridges were produced together with a recording adapter. This would enable me to make copies from an original. Yes, it would. <laughs> to which Megadroid responds, "That's an interesting idea, but uh, how would you be able to operate from jail?" <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I, you know, at around this time, maybe a year earlier, I had a friend at school who was. The sort of friend who you weren't really mates with, but in the one lesson that you had with him, you'd you'd have weird conversations with because he was weird, right? And um, yeah. one of the things that he told me was that he there was a thing on the Amiga <laughs> that he had and was prepared to give me a copy of called Illegal Copy 2. <laughs> and now that part I believe, because I had um, X Copy Pro, which was for copying discs that you couldn't otherwise copy because they were protected, stuff like that. But what he claimed this did was it let you copy Mega Drive games onto the Amiga. Now, mm. when pressed about this, he admitted that it only put them on Amiga discs. You couldn't necessarily play them play on an Amiga. Them. Which actually kind of makes it more plausible because then you're backing up a thing. And if you can then flash that onto a blank cartridge, now you're pirating. So actually, maybe it was true. I've spent my whole life assuming it was a lie. Because an Amiga disc, what he just means by that is a disc. You can just copy the data. Floppy, yeah. Mm. You can copy onto anything. You can copy the data. And then if you put that onto. Maybe it was real. Well, I mean, how would you get it onto? Well, a that's cartridge? the thing. You'd but, need but, you'd yeah. need more equipment for that. Yeah, you'd need a blank cartridge and a recording adapter. Yes, yes. I'm always amazed by how people do because you can buy like you know now you can send off for people put stuff on all sorts of things. You can get like Game Boy Advance cartridges that are fake and they have something else on. And, and uh, uh, yes, I had a yes. DS one that was a flash cart, and it's like well. Who made that? Is Nintendo not making them bespoke? How did you make? How did you manufacture this? And I still don't know. You just you you get one and take it apart, you know, and then there you go. Maybe, maybe. you reverse engineer it, I guess. But then you need you still need a factory to get all the bits and make a new one out of them. Yeah, well, you just pop over to China or wherever where they're not very bothered about that sort of thing. Maybe that is it. I tell you, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating to me. So. To be honest, Richard Hodgson, it might have existed. 
but you just weren't allowed to do it. To the right here, we've got a picture from Mario Runacre Temple of Amy, who has put on a pair of jeans. It seems to be not traced, but copied from the old uh, Amy taking aim subscription yeah. box uh, illustration. She's in that pose, yeah. one leg out, one leg bent, one fist forward, but here giving the thumbs up rather than uh, drawing her bow. Yeah. And she says, it's time for a change, Sonic. You're not the only cool hedgehog around here. And Sonic's in the background looking very put out. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it's Amy with her heart t-shirt and she's wearing a pair of jeans with a patch on the knee. Yeah. Which is funny because I look at this and I'm like, yep, there's old Amy. Yep. Um, because... In later years, oh yeah, yeah, she will just she will just cut about with jeans on. Oh yeah, I, I didn't realize it hadn't happened yet. You're absolutely no, I know, right? right? You, you don't you don't register. Yeah, she hasn't she hasn't put her trousers yeah. on yet. And the caption is Amy wears the trousers, and they all get stationary sets. My beloved old folder and uh, pencil tin, and finally do it yourself. From Michael Edwards of Harlow in Essex says, Dear Megadroid, unfortunately, I forgot to enter the compo to win a Sonic and Knuckles jacket back in STC 53. So please tell me where I can buy one from. Oh, no. Mm, Oh, Michael. Little Dave knew your pain. Big Dave does. You're out of luck this time, Michael, says Megadroid, as the jacket was a one-off exclusive. Results of the competition will be announced next issue. However, you could always get an artistic hume to paint one on the back of a denim jacket using fabric paint available from haberdashery shops and department stores. Mm. Well, Dave, you need to find yourself an artistic hume to paint one for you. Uh, How will I ever do such a thing as that? So that is STC's mailbag. You're too late to write into that now, but you're not too late to write into ours. We are continuing Speedlines, and you can send in your letters, pictures, even voice recordings to stctpodcast at gmail.com, and sometimes, if we remember, we'll read them out here. We've got a letter here from Grisket Baby, who's written to us before. Yes, I remember the name. And it's titled, IDW Referenced Martin Adams. Yes, really. Mm, I don't know about this yet. So, hi there, STCTP, it's me again. I recently discovered something that I thought would pique your interests. In a recent issue of the IDW Comics, writer Evan Stanley, by all accounts, cool, included a small nod to Sonic in Robotnik's laboratory. While Sonic is trapped in an artificial pocket dimension, Eggman communicates with him via a toaster. It is a tiny homage, but Evan Stanley has confirmed that yes, it was (laughs) intentional. Quote, I think I did mention a book where Sonic turns into a toaster. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog in Robotnik's Laboratory. (laughs) This was just a little nod to it. The book is wild and super fun. So yeah, there we go. Confirmed Martin Adams reference in IDW. Well, I have to say super fun was not our general conclusion about Robotnik's Laboratory. I thought it was quite fun. (laughs) You hated it. (laughs) (laughs) But... It's, uh, well, didn't they do that other little Martin Adams uh, reference just recently in the 30th anniversary uh, special as well, where they had M. Oh. Adams Schoolhouse? Yes, they, they yeah. did, didn't that's they? A, that's at least two Martin Adams novel references in recent Sonic. Now, let's get Cenos the Anti Sonic yeah. in there for a little cameo. Isn't yeah. it nice to know that those guys care about Martin Adams, you know? Isn't it? It, it, it really, really is. It's not just us. <laughs> Some buggers got to. <laughs> and it'd be nice if it wasn't just us. Yeah. Well, it gives the impression that, yeah, those books actually were kind of at the heart of Sonic fandom at a time. And um, it may have passed by the Archie era, but we, we're not in the Archie era anymore. And some equilibrium is being reached. 
<laughs> we got Speedlines question from Marcus Black. Hey guys, Marcus from Belfast again. Still loving the podcast. Counting the days between them. I know it's always 14, but still. <laughs> Listening to episode 57, where Chris talks about the Judge Dredd comic. Lawman of the future. And I was wondering, apart from STC, what other staple comics did you regularly buy or request as kids? I had a subscription to STC, but I also bought the Beano every week. Without fail, the dandy bored me. <laughs> dandy was the worst one. Keep up the good work. Marcus Black, MD owner Belfast. So Chris... Transformers, presumably. Well, no, this I think I've said before that STC was the first comic that I bought with my own money, mm. and so it was the first comic that I bought regularly mm. in every issue of. Everything else I read was when Daddy would go out on a Saturday morning to get the paper mm -hmm. and to get some buns, mm -hmm. uh, he would get a, a comic or two. And it would be whatever he laid his hands on at the time. So, yes, Transformers, but that was just as intermittent back right. in the 80s as the Beano was and the Dandy was uh, later. Wizard and Chips, not Wizard and Chips, um, Topper and Beezer, mm. whenever those two things folded together and became the Topper and the Beezer. And also, uh, well, it's funny, I always kind of thought of the Beano and the Dandy as just staples, just part yeah. of the print industry mm. you know they were just always and forever yeah. so the things that stand out are the the transformers and a big one the turtles comic oh yes of course which reprinted the archie adventure series and did its own original strips mm. which were not as good <laughs> but once buying comics was under my own power yeah sdc then judge dread and then in late 1996 Marvel Comics in the US launched their Heroes Reborn initiative where they started Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Captain America and the Avengers over again from number one for the very first time back when doing that meant something. I collected those from the start and that is when I fully started buying American comics regularly every month with my own money. And that's a year from now, literally. It was the August of that year, as I recall. Okay, uh, with me it was... I didn't have very many things that I got without fail. Exactly. Yeah. Same. Like with Chris, it was definitely intermittent. Uh, I said it in the first episode, but that was a long time ago, so I'll say it again. My uh, nan and grandpa would come over at the weekends, and usually they'd bring a comic uh, for me and my brother each, and a bag of pick and mix. And um, it was just whatever they clapped eyes on. I don't even know if mum was giving them any tips, like, or if they were just getting whatever was there themselves. Because I don't remember being the sort of kid who would give feedback. I don't think I would be like, Nana, I prefer this comic, you know? <laughs> so she would really have been having to guess. But uh, it settled down that she would always bring Buster. And that's why I'm so into that. Because it was Buster was sort of like, sort of the phoenix of its time, in that it was after all was said and done with all of those Wizards and Chips and Beezer and Toppers and all of those sorts of things that we used to have lots and lots of and they started consolidating down. I sort of, I don't know if this is the case, but I sort of think of Buster as the last man standing in that it was, maybe it was just the last one I was reading, but it was a production, you know, it was full colour like STC was, even though it was a gag strip style simplistic thing. And it was, yeah. it just basically was like, if you've got Buster, you didn't need others you didn't need all of those many 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 gag strip comics and of course now I, that's the opposite of what i believe i think that you ought to have them all Should have as many of them as possible yes yeah the beano uh, exactly the same having the beano didn't almost count as like having a comic it was like having your lunch you had to have the beano 
You got. It's like putting your shoes on to go to school. You have to. What a weird way to look at it. But and the, and the Beano is the one they still publish mm. today. It remains a staple. Yeah. Even the Dandy isn't around anymore. No, that's really. I weird. mean, it was the worst one of the two. Yes. Um. The last era of the Dandy, it became really, really good because they kind of did a sort of reboot with lots of really funny artists and so on. But in our day, Dandy was like you might as well have been reading Rupert or something. It was very classy. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's reflective of the general ethos of the two comics separately, no. but when you had Dennis the Menace, a mm. figure of anarchism mm. on the cover of your comic, out there causing mischief, yeah. and on the dandy you had a large man who occasionally had accidents, and yeah. <laughs> bring to desperate Dan here, who, oh, his strength has caused him to once again tear the door off the paddock with the cows in. <laughs> it was like, you know, you know, whatever. Dennis the Menace is actively malicious. That's where I, That's what I'm after. <laughs> Uh, he's actively malicious <laughs> that's it and i'd be interested to know what dc thompson thought the difference between beano and dandy was because to me they were bbc and itv the naughty one and the posh one <laughs> that's that sort of comic i never even subscribed to turtles that again all of this stuff i never subscribed to anything all this stuff was just like oh oh today i've got a turtles comic brilliant but there was one just this this answers your question right there was one comic other than STC, that I got every issue of. And I may have mentioned it before because it's such a big part of me. And it was called The World of Whim. Don't remember you mentioning it. Now, it was quite easy to get every single issue of it because there were only six. But I didn't know that until it ended. Mm. And it was such a strange thing that I wish there were more of. It was printed by Clearmark and it was cover to cover one story. Not tied in with any franchise just just a story that was coming out there wasn't any merch there was nothing to sell on the back of it it was just a comic that someone was printing and it was drawn by andy lanning i don't know who wrote it john carnell who is a writer of doctor who comics and by the way it appears to have been colored by anthony williams who colored mutant league and the story was a girl is supposed to be being babysat by her older brother but he's too much of a punk so he's out mucking about and not really looking after her right and out of the toilet comes an elf and this elf spreads magic throughout the house and it's all special effects and it came with a little bag of sparkly glitter that you could throw onto the pages but <laughs> oh boy right but i didn't and so they are pristine mm, of course not. and during this magic explosion the older brother comes in and gets turned into a teddy bear so the elf pulls them all down the toilet to his magical world to get it sorted out and from then on it's just this story about them exploring this magical world on the way to try and get this teddy bear turned back into a boy and it had two chunks of comic at the beginning and end and in the middle a prose story set in the same world of whim that it was all set in yeah yeah i can remember things like that in like care bears oh, and crash really? test dummies two other random comics i remember reading issues of. Right. yeah you would, you would have a prose story in the and middle. the fact that it was just not care bears or crash it was just something they made up just the thing yeah that's more or less unprecedented like that's a very very rare thing that i can't even think of any other examples of at all in uk comics and also it ended on my first experience of the season finale as in like Uh. a bigger more impressive story for the final piece that like ends the story and there's magic going did he get turned back to normal do you know i can't remember (sighs) if you get it out read it again I've remembered one more uh-huh. from right around this time, if not a little earlier. What year are we in? 95? Yeah. 
the UK Jurassic Park. Oh, oh my God. not for the Jurassic Park strip. You under this is this was another one. I actually I actually did I did buy this myself. So this must have been around post starting Sonic the Comic as a backup strip. It uh, printed two different things. It printed Xenozoic Tales, better known to some as Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Yes, we've discussed that before. And Age of Reptiles. One of the single most important comics I ever read. (laughs) Utterly mind-blowing. It was a silent comic told without dialogue or sound effects of life in, like, prehistoric times. Essentially about a pack of Deinonychuses, I think it was. And their war with a family of tyrannosauruses. It wasn't significantly anthropomorphized. It was it was that Echo the Dolphin yeah. energy. That it was like you were seeing a nature. It was walking with dinosaurs before there was walking with yeah. dinosaurs. It was like a nature documentary about these creatures. It blew my tiny mind to learn you could do comics without words. To see yeah. a story told entirely through art without dialogue. I still rank it now as one of the single most formative comics experiences I ever had. Up there with, essentially, with Transformers being the first comic I ever read, with Sonic being the first comic I ever actively collected and paid for with Mm -hmm. my own money, and with the Heroes Reborn stuff, which is what really put me onto American comic books. Those are my top four, An Age of Reptiles. Uh, They printed an omnibus collection of all of it a couple of years ago, and I have that, and you should all get it and read it, because it's f***ing stellar stuff. (laughs) Also, the Bucky O'Hare comic. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks, Marcus. Read Age of Reptiles. (laughs) (laughs) Next issue. Who's the hot cross fox? (laughs) Questionable, questionable. What we have here is a picture from next issue's knuckles and tail strip of a... A female fox in armor of the sort that you would expect these fantasy foxes to wear yeah. and i'm worried that it said who's the hot cross fox because it's a yeah. woman and therefore they're calling her hot yep that's the only explanation i can come up with and she's cross she is cross so she's making she's a cross face cross. but bun does not sound like fox so no. they've just decided she's a woman therefore she is hot and she is cross and yeah anyway i know who she is but you'll find out in <laughs> knuckles and tails next issue yeah Plus, Sonic, Metallics are go. Echo splashes out. Sonic's world, Troubles Brewing. STC artists, <laughs> meet them before they meet you. Oh. Vaguely threatening. Yeah, yeah. oh God, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the feature. Let's see what yeah. that's all about. STC 61 on sale Saturday the 16th of September 95. And there you go, and you can join us for that in two weeks' time, where good podcasts are found, but you can find the download directly on stctp.wigglehe.com. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, which is at Sonic Podcast, but we're both on there individually as well. I am at Chris McFeely. And I am at Demon Tomato Dave, and you can find us on YouTube under those names as well. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash stctp, where you can hear us talk in bonus episodes about the aforementioned mentioned Martin Adams novels and Dave's <laughs> opus epic endurance test of a fan fiction and we use the proceeds from Patreon to pay our editor Sam Gabriel yes we do who you can find at samgabrielvo.com we also have an opening theme tune uh, you may remember from the start that is called Synchronize and it's by Sonic the Comic the band you can find it at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com But they're Sonic the Comic the Band. We have been Sonic the Comic the Podcast. And we will see you next next time.
it's like they don't have a style guide ref for Knuckles. They've mm. got Richard Arson. Richard Arson Elt. <laughs> <laughs> They've got Richard Elson Art. <laughs> 